Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that as you listen, you will be encouraged in your journey and that your relationship with Father God will be strengthened and deepened. Here's this week's message from Pastor Brenton. Today we're going to look at, actually, we're going to look at the fall of man and, and where freedom really was, was taken from us. And we're going to look at how, how the enemy tempted man, how man fell into temptation then how man responded to sin, and it's going to end with the best part. What's God's response to, to man when they've sinned? You good with doing that today? Okay, well, I'll try another message, I guess. No. <laughs> awesome. Let's see what I can come up with. Um, so in Genesis 2, you see this beautiful picture of freedom that God establishes. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from the tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God says it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So here we see God giving man freedom, freedom to walk with him, freedom um, with instruction of how to tend the garden, and, and, and with that you have purpose, you have direction of how to walk in that freedom, right? Because God wasn't just shackling them to, to the garden, but saying, you have a choice here, right? If you want to walk uh, outside of freedom, then that's your choice, or else it's not freedom, right? Um, so he gives them the tree, tells them not to eat of it, and then he gives them community as well. And so you see this, this beautiful picture, and I think this is also... I think our lives today, we have freedom in Christ, we have instruction to follow, we have purpose and a reason that God has put us here, and we have community too, which is really cool. But we know we have an enemy, right? And the enemy, he wants to take this from man, and this is what he's always wanted to do. So let's read Genesis 3, and it says, Now the serpent, serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. I don't know if Adam added the touching part, because God didn't say that. Adam was like, Eve, don't touch it, right? But that's what she's saying anyway, or you will die. And the enemy says, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So first of all, I want to take a look at what are the the strategies of the enemy here that that he gets um, so that man can throw away their freedom. I think... we don't need to be fascinated with the enemy or study demons or, or, or hear tons about the demonic, but we want to know the enemy's schemes against us. And if you follow sports, you'll know that any coach is going to try to do that. Um, they're going to have an offensive plan. This is what we're trying to do. But then also they'll have a defensive plan saying this is what our enemy is going to try to exploit. This is what they're going to, to try to be doing in their schemes. And the Bible instructs us to do the same. In first, or 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So when we're ignorant of his schemes, the, the enemy can take advantage of us, right? So we're going to look at what, what are the schemes of the enemy that we see in Genesis here. 
But really, the enemy has the same tactics today. Um, the first thing that I see the enemy do is that the enemy was, was speaking alone to Eve. I, I don't know where Adam was. It, it talks later that, you know, Eve hands Adam the fruit, so he might have been nearby, but this was not a, a communal conversation. This was an isolated conversation that the enemy has with Eve. And I think this is one of the first things that the enemy wants to do, isolate us from community. If you, if this, this is not a fun thing to think of, but if you think of some of the worst things you've done in your life, it was probably when you were alone or you were with community you shouldn't have been. When you're with healthy and good community in, 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 that, in that place, it's, it's, it's a good, safe place to be. And this is what our enemy wants to do, wants to isolate us from community. The Bible says the enemy is a, a, a roaring lion looking for who he can devour, right? It, it's, it's a lion that if we're walking with God, he can't just devour you if, if you're walking in, in truth, but he's looking for those that he can devour. And, and when you have lions in, in nature, what they do is they isolate one from the herd. That's what they're trying to do. And, and as a herd, they're evading a lion. They'll put the young in the middle often, and, and they'll herd together. And the lion is, is just trying to isolate one weak antelope or whatever it is. And this is what the enemy does in our life, right? And so I, I think there's so many things in our day that, and things that have come from, from COVID, like social anxiety and all of these things. We are called not to give into that, but step into community. Amen? I saw a, a lady here the other day, and she said, I haven't been to church in eight years, and, and she, was, she was nervous because she was coming into community, and she wasn't used to that, and she just said, I'm just taking one step at a time, and I said, That's, you don't, you don't want to take two steps at a time. One step is, is all you can take, right, or you'll trip, and that's what we're called to do. Just take one step at a time, not away from community, but towards community, because Eve's deception, I, I really believe it happened without community. You don't see a conversation with God, first of all, and you don't see a conversation with Adam before she sinned. She was deceived uh, uh, alone in a conversation with the enemy. The next thing that the enemy does is deceives through lies that undermine God's truth, God's character, and that are targeted towards our disordered desires. Our enemy is a liar. The Bible says He's the father of lies. So he is, every lie that you've heard perpetuated, it, it, it's rooted in, in him. And, and when he lies, he speaks his native language. The enemy doesn't, is not bilingual, doesn't know two languages. The enemy knows lies and, and speaks lies, lives that are often tempting, and he's crafty, right? So some of these lies are truth that's just twisted and distorted. This is what our enemy does. And so the first thing that the enemy does with, with Eve is says, did God really say? That was the first test. Did God say this? And Eve, I think she kind of passed this test. Yes, this is what God said. So Eve knows what God says, but now look what the enemy does. He challenges the character of God, the goodness of God, and the trustworthiness of what God says. He says, God said you'll die. You won't die. You won't die. You'll be, you'll be like him. 
It's actually, it's actually going to open your eyes so you'll be like God. God's holding out on you. And so he gets Eve, I think, to trust the, the character of God and to give into the temptation of, of following God's truth and actually making her own truth, rising up above his truth. And this is the enemy's goal because this is the enemy's story. This is, this is the enemy's story of what he is. This is what he, in Isaiah, talks about this, that he, he was the one who wanted to raise his throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Safan. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is what our enemy did. But then he was brought low to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. And again, the enemy, that's what he wants for you. He wants you to abandon God's truth, to, to adopt your own truth and rise up above God as wiser so he can bring you down to the depths of the pit. So let's continue here in, in, uh, in this chapter. We see the woman, she has this conversation with the devil and then, then she's locked in on the fruits and she's tempted to eat this. And when, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, Pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. How did man throw away this, this freedom and this paradise with God? The first thing that, that Eve did was hear out and entertain the, the lies of the enemy. And, and we're, we're surrounded in a, in a world that's filled with lies of the enemy. Amen. Every time that you, you hear a lie, it's not necessarily that, that the devil himself is whispering that in your ear. The, the, the devil is not everywhere, right? The, the devil's in one place, but he has a demonic realm, and, and they, they, they perpetuate his lies. And then the, the Bible also talks about the world. This, the world is this place that's corrupt, and I think sometimes just the world and its sets of values and the way that it works they, it perpetuates lies as well, and he does this through other, other people in a fallen world. And so the first way that we throw our, away our temptation is we, we hear these lies and, and entertain these lies, and then we're enticed by our desire. Eve was looking at the fruit, and she said, that's good for food. That looks good. I want that, and it's desirable for gaining wisdom. First, First John 2 talks about these three temptations, kind of reiterates it as well, and it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So in that in this case, Eve takes what makes her pass away instead of doing the will of God leading to life. Um, let, let's break these three down. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, it talks about our, our human nature that's corrupted by sin. The, the, the flesh, the, the kind of the almost animal flesh inside of us that, that takes us away from the things of God in our life. And this is why when, we, when, you, when you hear phrases like, follow your heart, it's really bad advice. Have you heard that advice before? Or maybe you've given that advice. That's, that's dangerous advice. Follow your heart. You're really saying just follow your flesh. Follow your desires. Um, the, the world has a saying too. The heart wants what it wants. 
But often your heart wants evil and your heart is deceptive above all other things who are not called to follow the lust of the flesh and to follow our heart. But it's truth. The lust of the eyes, Eve saw the fruit and she wanted that. Talks about temptations to desire, to want, to envy, and to be jealous. You see this with David and Bathsheba. David had everything, but he saw Bathsheba, and and, and he fell into the lust of the eyes. And the pride of life, last of all, it's our desire for status and self-recognition. I think part of it, too, is, is the gaining of wisdom outside of the wisdom of God. True wisdom is, it says in Proverbs, everywhere. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Because I think when we're wise in our own eyes, we're, we're really saying to God, my way is better. Maybe you have some truth, but my truth is better than yours. And we see the enemy is going to bring us these temptations over and over and over again. And actually, these were, I think, the temptations that the enemy brought to Jesus when, when he was in the desert. And again, the enemy approached Jesus right after God said, what did God say? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus goes and, and he fasts and, and as, he, as he's a, a, alone, um, the devil comes to tempt Jesus. And, and the first thing he challenges is the truth of God. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread, the lust of, of the flesh. And Jesus responds, man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word from the mouth of God. And before he says that, it's written, right? Jesus knew the truth and he wasn't going to exchange a lie for truth because he, he knew the truth. I mean, he was the truth. I don't know what the enemy was thinking here. You can't really tempt Jesus, right? <laughs> The next thing uh, that we see with the lust of the eyes is, is where the, the enemy takes Jesus to the, the kingdoms, shows him the kingdoms of the world on a mountain and said, all this is yours. All of this is yours. You can have it if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus again says, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And lastly, uh, you know, not the last temptation, but Another temptation was when the enemy brought Jesus to the temple and says, throw yourself down and the angels will save you. That's what it says in the word of God. And, and if Jesus would have done this, everyone would have seen this miraculous act. The Pharisees and religious leaders would have said, this truly is God, right? It was a way of Jesus not having to die, not having to carry his cross, but just be made king this way. Again, it's interesting that, that the enemy uses the word of God. He twists and distorts the word of God for actually selfish gain instead of the word of God to glorify the Lord. Again, not a good idea to do this to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is like, sorry, man, I am the word. <laughs> this is not going to work. But I think in our own life, this is, the, this is what the enemy is going to want to do. He's going to want to twist the truth, even the truth of God's word, so we can be twisted to fit our desire and what we want. And we're tempted to to exchange the truth for the lie that he's selling us. I, I like this quote by Jonathan Grant. It says, modern authenticity encourages us to create our own beliefs and morality. Isn't it so easy to do that? 
The only rule being that it must resonate with who we feel we really are. When I think of that, it, it, I think of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and being led by that. And the worst thing that we can do is conform to some moral code that's imposed on us from the outside by society, our parents, the church, or whoever else. It is deemed to be self-evident that any such imposition would undermine our unique identity. It's seeing myself as the most important, my truth as the most important. And, and when I think of all these three temptations, this is what the enemy is going to try to sell us. Can we sell the truth of God's freedom and truth that he's given us and the truth of how he's instructed us to live and sell it for a lie to be seen right in our own eyes? And I don't think this is just modern authenticity. I think this was from the very beginning, right? You see this in Eve wanting to become wise, above God. Look what it says here in, in Romans 1.22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. And therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires. God gives us that choice, right? He gives that, us that free will to follow his truth or, or not. So God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Look what it says in verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. That's what the enemy wants us to do. That's how the enemy is going to bring us in to, to a place of bondage in our life where we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Why would we do that? Why would we make that trade? We, we, we are deceived like Eve. Or we don't know the plan and, and, and the things that God has for us. I'll tell you a story. When I, was, when I was young, I think I was probably like nine, I would go to my friend's house and I would, I would trade hockey cards. And I, I had a really good time. It was cool because what I could do was sometimes I would trade one card and he would give me two. And I'm like, I got this is awesome. I got this. I don't know why this guy keeps making these trades. Well, I later found out he was he was looking in a in a price guide. And so what he would do is I would present a trade to him, and he would flip through his pages that that said the value of the, the cards. <laughs> so he would add up the value. Okay, this is thirty cents and thirty cents, and you're giving me a five dollar card. I'll take the one for two. And so I, I didn't realize I was deceived. I was like, I'm going to get a good deal. Look at this shiny card. Look what I've got. And, and later in life, uh, I, I got one of these books as well. <laughs> and all of a sudden I realized, that's why he was doing it. <laughs> I, was, I was exchanging something, something that was valuable for something that wasn't. And in our lives, if we don't know the truth, if we don't know what's written like Jesus did, it's written man doesn't live on bread alone, then we will make these exchanges with Satan. If we don't know our identity in Christ and the truth of, of, of how he, he's put us here, then, then we'll do what Eve did. We'll take the fruit and exchange freedom for chains. And we'll think that it's worth it. Or we'll be like Esau, who sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. Lentil soup is disgusting. Not even like Zama borscht. <laughs> Yikes. 
But this is what the enemy wants us to, to, to happen in our lives. To give in to his deception. To exchange the truth of God for something much less and a lie. But we do it because we're deceived. And then sin, classic sin, it promises everything but it gives you nothing. Right? Let's continue in the story of Genesis. It says, Then the eyes of them were both opened. They realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God in the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is it you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So what's, God, or what's man's response to sin here when, when man gives in um, to sin? The first immediate response or the thing that happens is that they realize they're naked. They realize something is, is off here. Keep in mind, Adam and Eve were walking with God in intimacy in the garden. They had no knowledge of good and evil, and all of a sudden, everything is different, and they know something is wrong. They have guilt in their hearts. And sometimes when, when we've sinned in our life, we just want to make that bad feeling go away, but I actually think that this feeling of guilt can be a gift. I love, I love this quote, guilt is to the soul what pain is to the body, a kind of moral, moral discomfort. Pain is only bad when it goes on indefinitely. In the short term, it's a gift from God to our bodies as a messenger whose job is to tell us we need to fix something and fast. How many of you are, were grateful for pain if you've ever put your hand on a stove? <laughs> You're probably not grateful for the pain. It hurts, right? But it's good that you felt that pain because it told your hand, get out of there. That's not right. Don't leave yourself there. And in the same way, when we feel guilt and, and, and discomfort in, in our sin, it's good. Maybe it's good that we haven't got used to living in the darkness, we don't want to grow accustomed to darkness. We don't want to grow accustomed to sin. Paul, Paul talks about this. There's teachers that have seared their conscience with a hot iron. We don't want that for ourselves. We, we, want to be, we, want, we want to be sensitive towards sin in our lives. And this is where I think I want to talk about the distinction between guilt and conviction and shame. Because some of us get trapped by, by this lie as well. Guilt and conviction says, I've made a mistake and I need to make this right. There's a sense of sorrow, but there's also a sense of, I need to make this right. I need to confess and come back to God and receive his forgiveness. And, and, and shame targets your identity. Oh, you made a mistake? Now you're a mistake. You did something unrighteous? Now you're in this place of unrighteousness. You sold truth for a lie, and now you have chains? Well, guess what? There's no coming out of these. And if you want to come out, you'll have to work your way back to freedom. The enemy is crafty. This is what he does in all of our lives. Amen? 
He will, he will deceive you to exchange truth for a lie, and then he'll double down and lie on top of it and say, you're done. You can't go to God. It's over for you. But shame is a lie that diminishes the power of God. Amen? The next thing that, that Adam and Eve does is they cover themselves with, with fig leaves. They make a covering for their sin to, to cover it up. And I think so many of us do that in our lives as well. Amen? We realize we've done wrong, and we say, I, I've got I've to make a covering for this. I've got to cover this up. When I, when I, was, when I was doing research, uh, one, one scholar said fig leaves are very uncomfortable. <laughs> They're very itchy. Have you ever worn fig leaves in your life figuratively? Not literally. I, I don't think anyone's worn them literally. I've done that, though. All throughout high school, I was stuck in shame, addiction, and, and sin, and living so uncomfortable. But I needed to be covered up. I just had to hide it from, from everyone in my life, and that was my lot. But at, at this church, one of our values is authenticity because God calls us into the light. And we're all imperfect people that have fallen short of the glory of God, and we don't need to live in shame because of Jesus' sacrifice, amen? It's so beautiful. And then man hides from God. <laughs> but you can't hide from God, right? It says in Hebrews, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. God knows you fully, more than you know yourself. And it blows my mind that he still died for me, right? He still loves me. Like God knows you, all, all the evil desires of your heart. And he still chose to die for you and he still loves you. You're not hidden before him, but that doesn't mean that you're banished from his presence because of Jesus. The next thing that man does is shift the blame of their sin. Adam says, it was the woman that you gave me. Oh. He says, God, well, God, I was good. And then this woman came, and she handed me the fruit. And you put her here. He almost blames God for his sin. And when we do this in our lives, we fail to just confess and take ownership for our sin. I think it, it can keep us in bondage because all of a sudden we're a, a helpless victim of the environment that we've been put in. Even though it says in God's word, no temptation has come to us beyond what we can bear and he will provide a way out. The next thing that happens when, when we shift the blame is instead of dealing with our heart and our own thoughts, we see the faults of everyone else. Right? And I realized when I was preparing my message that I do this. I told my wife, man, I, I do this. And she said, yeah, I could, I could give you an illustration if you want. <laughs> I said, no, thank you. <laughs> but we do this. We shift the blame. All right, so that's, that's man's often response to sin. What is God calling us to do? And what, what does God do in response to man's sin? The first thing that God does is as we cover and hide, he searches for us. God came into the garden and, and, and man sensed that and immediately man, 
man hid. And, and what, what does God say? Where are you? Where are you? God is not actually trying to find Adam and Eve. <laughs> he knows exactly where they are, right? You can't play hide and seek from God. It's not very fun. He just knows where you are. But he was searching for them. And when we choose to live a lie and live in sin, he searches for you. If this is who you are today and you're living with fig leaves, you're living in shame, you're hiding from God because of this, God is searching for you. I remember one, a while back, I met a man and I had this, this picture that, that I felt was from God of, of God extending his hand to this person and all this person had to do was grab God's hand and God would snatch them out of the place they were in. It was a little scary of a word to give but I, I, I gave the word to this person and it was sad because this person went on to say, I've given my life to the devil. I've made mistakes that are irreconcilable. I can't come out of these chains. But God was trying to pull this young man out of that place. He was after him. He was searching for him. And the beautiful thing is that if you're far from God today, look at the prodigal son. The prodigal son was far from the father. But the moment he came back to the father, the father saw him from a long way off. And boom, he was quick. <laughs> All of a sudden, he was getting kissed and hugged. And he had a robe. It was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. And then they were partying. Because God had his son back. Or the, the prodigal father had his son back. Maybe today is an awesome day to come back to your father. And the next thing God invites us to do is he invites us to confess and repent of our sin. God asks Adam and Eve, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you to eat from? Again, he doesn't, he's not truly asking that. I don't know here, did you eat the fruit or did you not? He knows but he's giving them a chance to repent and confess their sin. I wonder what would have happened if they confessed their sin to God here. We can't answer that. I don't know. I think they still would have been out of the garden, but how would the story have changed if they confessed their sin? How about in our own lives? We, we, we are invited to confess our sin. And confession brings forgiveness and healing to our hearts. This is a value that we have here at church, confessing our sins to God, but also to each other, because when you do that, you bring it to the light. You bring it to a community that can help you. You, you. you come out of isolation into a herd, and this is where we can heal together. But man, we don't like confessing sin, amen? Oh, so we got to fight against that and confess sin, because there's unbelievable power in confession. Look what 1 John says. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is what God wants. Confess our sin and bring it to light. Don't, don't make your own fig leaf covering when God wants to set you free. Amen? If living in, in sin is where we've exchanged a truth for a lie, confession is where we exchange our sin for, for his grace so we can walk in his truth again. It is exciting. It sounds weird, but it's, it's amazing. 
We have a set free retreat in just around a month. And that retreat is heavy because we're bringing our brokenness before God. But this is all of us. We all have brokenness, right? And it's beautiful because at the end of the retreat, no one is hanging their head in shame. They're free. And it's beautiful that they're being set free by grace and, 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 and God replacing that, the lies with truth. The last two things that God does is he, he well, first of all, he punishes sin. They're, they're, they're taken from the garden. There's a curse that's upon earth and man with actually the devil getting the only fatal blow. God says to the devil, I'll crush your head. <laughs> And you'll bruise my heel. It's actually talking about Jesus who, who will defeat the enemy. And this is what Jesus did ultimately. He redeemed us from this curse. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. So that we can walk in freedom with him again. Isn't that amazing? We now don't have to be taken away from God's presence. We're invited into the presence of God. And here's the last thing that God does here is he provides a sacrifice and covering for their sin. Adam and Eve had, had fig leaves on and they were trying to make their, their own covering for their own sin, but, but God sacrificed an animal. And, and, it, and it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. This is alluding to Jesus, who's the ultimate sacrifice, right? And our sins are not just covered, they're washed away. And now when we confess our sin and put our faith in Jesus, it talks about in, in Revelation that, that one day, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. The righteousness of Christ because of the sacrifice that he's made. Church, I just want to encourage us, let's not walk around with fig leaves when, when we have a, a, a beautiful Savior who didn't just make a covering for our sin, he washed it away so we can be righteous. Let's bring our sins to the light so that we can come into community, we can line ourselves again with truth and walk in the freedom that he paid for us to walk in. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Yeah, God, I thank you for your freedom. <laughs> God, we see in the story of the fall, immediately you had a plan to bring your people back to freedom again. You don't even let them leave the garden before telling Satan, hey, Satan, I'm going to crush you. And man, I have a plan for freedom. God, thank you for the freedom that you purchased for us in Christ. The freedom that, that, it, that when we sin, we don't have to cover, we don't have to hide. We can confess our sins before you and receive forgiveness. And God, I pray that we're brave enough to do that. And not only to you, God, but to each other as well. And Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth there's any area in our life where we're deceived, we're living a lie, we're trapped in sin, and maybe we don't even realize it, or maybe we do, 
God, open our eyes to see that. Open our eyes and convict our, our hearts so that we can make this right. God, I pray that shame, the voice of shame, the lie of shame, we would not listen to, but we listen to your truth that's searching for us, that's wanting to wash us white as snow so we can walk with you again in intimacy. God, I pray that GMC would not be a fig leaf church, but we'd be clothed with your righteousness and walking free of shame. Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.